Welcome to the Ask Zach Show. I'm your host, Zach Childs. I've spent the last 30 years working in the music industry here in Nashville, Tennessee, during which I've done everything from touring with major artists like Brad Paisley and Carrie Underwood to playing the nastiest dive bars or even the occasional wedding. This show is all about barreling down the rabbit hole on all things guitar and the music we love. We will cover the legendary players, gear insights, and even some interviews along the way. I hope you enjoy. To support the show, follow the links in the description to find out about my Patreon page. Or go to my store at AskZach.com to pick up a coffee mug or t-shirt. Now, let's dive in. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to today's episode on Bob Warford, Clarence White, and the second B-Bender Telly. So this is the, the story of a very significant guitar that was, of course, owned by Clarence and then Bob Warford and was used on a lot of uh, really big, classic, you know, kind of California country rock tunes and albums and such. So we're going to talk about that, talk about the second B-Bender and how Bob Warford and his dad made it by uh, kind of using the original guitar of Clarence's as a template and actually making some improvements upon it. So, hope you enjoy. First, I want to thank my sponsor, Truefire. Truefire is the finest online lesson system that uh, you can find. They have hundreds of artists that are, uh, you know, of course, teaching their styles, and you have, on many of them, you have the ability to see the, uh, the tablature go by as the playing is happening in real time. You can slow it down. It's a wonderful system, and I'm proud to be partnering with Truefire. All right, let's dive in. So first, a little bit about Clarence, if you're not aware of, uh, of Clarence White. So Clarence White was, of course, a bluegrass guitarist who moved out to California with his kind of the Kentucky Colonels, uh, also known at times as the White Brothers. And they came out during the, the folk boom of the early 1960s. Uh, the 1964, with the onslaught of the uh, Beatle and the British invasion, the uh, folk boom busted and many uh, kind of disbanded or uh, some changed to electric instruments, kind of like the birds did and others. So Clarence picked up the Telecaster and was very inspired by James Burton. And he began kind of a dual life of still continuing to play bluegrass acoustic guitar, which he was one of the great innovators on bluegrass acoustic guitar. So there could be a whole episode just on his significance in the world of bluegrass and his huge influence on uh, everyone after him, including, of course, his most known uh, disciple, Tony Rice. I 
should say the late Tony Rice. But he, uh, he had just as significant an influence on electric guitar. And kind of under the inspiration of James Burton, he started playing a Telecaster. And again, he was living this dual life of playing acoustic music and also playing electric music. Uh, and he, uh, he had a couple different Telecasters and he, uh, he found this white Telecaster that he bought from Simi Mosley of Moserite fame. And the guitar uh, is, is right here. And so here you can see Clarence, a young Clarence White in the mid-60s. And he's playing a white Telecaster with a uh, kind of mottled uh, black, you know, dark pickguard. And, you know, what you can't see is that it has a, a, a reshaped Stratocaster neck on it. So this was Clarence's favorite guitar. And he used it presumably even on the Nashville West recordings, which is, which are my favorite Clarence recordings of his pre-bender work. And frankly, my favorite Clarence guitar work, you know, of anything that he ever did. This is also the guitar that he used on the Sweetheart of the Rodeo album with the birds. And it was his favorite guitar and he loved it. And when the idea came up for doing a B bender, he decided to put the bender in his second most favorite guitar, which was this one. So this is the famous guitar that we now think of as the Clarence White guitar, but it was actually his second favorite. It was not his number one guitar, but it was still a great Telecaster. But after he and, and Gene Parsons installed the, uh, the B-Bender on there, they, uh, you know, the, he, he decided that, uh, that that was his new number one and he wasn't playing the other one anymore. This is where Bob Warford enters the picture. So Bob was, uh, of course, grew up in California and during the folk boom, he learned how to play banjo. And eventually he ended up playing with the Kentucky Colonels and or the White Brothers, whatever name they were going under at the time. And Clarence, of course, was in the process of really getting into the electric guitar and he encouraged Bob Warford to also get into the guitar and get into electric guitar playing. So Bob borrowed a... Uh, you know, a simple duosonic, and then later on a jazz master from um, from Clarence. And Bob had a noble acoustic that Clarence kind of fell in love with. And so, of course, by this time, Clarence is using the B-Bender. He's using his, what was his number two guitar, the Sunburst one, is now his number one. And so he decides to offer his former number one guitar, the White Telly with the Strat neck on it, to Bob Warford and trade for his noble acoustic. Well, they end up making the trade and Bob had the, uh, you know, the, the white telly. Well, of course, Clarence is blazing trails with his B-Bender work and Bob decides that he would like to have a B-Bender in his guitar too. Well, of course, no one's doing them uh, except for, I mean, Gene is not really doing it besides the one that he did for Clarence. And so Bob and his father, who's an engineer, decide to figure out how to do one on their own. Well, with a little, with a little help. So they were able to borrow the Clarence White guitar with the Gene Parsons mechanism in there. 
and they take blueprints of it and they immediately start making drawings and figuring out how to do their own vendor. Now, there were a couple of things that they wanted to improve upon. First off is that Gene found that he had a problem with one of the uh, kind of bolts that he ended up having to go all the way through the guitar. So in this picture, you can see on the Clarence White guitar, it has a bolt going all the way up near the Nudie Cohen uh, sticker. And so on, on theirs, they decided, they figured out how to, uh, how to machine or how to design around that so they wouldn't have to have a, a bolt going all the way through the guitar. And here is a picture of the guitar uh, once they put in the bender mechanism. So first off, they wanted to deal with the issue of the bolt. The second was they wanted to deal with the thickness of the guitar. So of course on Clarence's guitar, that of course Marty Stewart now owns, it is much thicker than a standard Telecaster. It, uh, because most of the mechanism is outside of the body. So instead of being inside it, it's outside the body. And so they had to put a shell on the back that was quite thick and made of masonite, kind of like a Dan Electro. So uh, Bob and his father, that was their second you know, kind of issue that they wanted to address with Clarence's guitar when they were gonna be putting it in the white telly. So they, uh, they were able to shorten the actuator little mechanism from the steel guitar because the, the actual mechanism that you see here, it is from a Fender 400 pedal steel that uh, they were able to purchase the parts from Fender. And here, let's go to the next picture where you see the back of it. Now here you can see all of the guts and all the glory and you can see that they have shortened the little actuators uh, to make it to where the, the body doesn't have to be as thick. Because their goal was to have the guitar to be able to fit in a standard Fender case, which they were able to accomplish. So here, of course, you can see that they have a, a, you know, a much cleaner and you know, a, a sleeker design. And that's, of course, they have the advantage of having uh, Bob's dad, who was an engineer, and also they have the advantage of someone else has already done this once and now they're able to go about and just kind of clean up some of the messiness from the first one. So you can see that it's a much nicer looking mechanism than the original Clarence White guitar. Here in the next shot, you can see how uh, it is still thicker than a regular Telecaster, but it is not uh, so thick that it won't fit in a Fender case. Uh, here's a, and then Here's a shot of old, uh, you know, Bob with uh, Linda Ronstad. So I guess we should talk about his uh, playing career at this point. So of course, being a bit of a, uh, you know, a friend, and I guess you would call him maybe a little bit of a disciple of Clarence White, that uh, Bob was of course learning how to do the B-Bender once they put it in his guitar. And Clarence was playing on sessions uh, outside of his work with the birds. And of course, people wanted to be able to reproduce that sound. So one of the artists that Clarence played with was the Everly Brothers. And of course, Clarence was not able to uh, go out on the road with the Everly Brothers. And so he recommended Bob Warford. And so Bob played with the Everlys. Uh, during this time, he, uh, he was using a super reverb and he ended up uh, falling in love with uh, Phil Everly 
had a uh, had a Vibrolux, a Blackface Vibrolux Reverb, and they ended up swapping amps because uh, each one wanted the others. So Phil wanted a Super Reverb, and Bob wanted a Blackface Vibrolux Reverb, and so they made the swap. Also during this time, we need to mention Red Roads. Red Roads, of course, was a famous you know, amp, hot rodder, and pickup winder. And of course, he made uh, velvet hammer pickups for guys like James Burton, Clarence White, and other, other cats, and also hot-rodded amplifiers. So for Bob, Bob didn't get a velvet hammer pickup. What he did have Red Roads do was to hot-rod his Vibrolux. So he had him put a, um, a set of JBL D110 speakers, add a master volume, and just in general kind of hot-rod the thing to get it a little... Uh, you know, with a little, I guess what you'd call a, uh, a higher idle and such, so that it was a little more dynamic. So, equipped with that, and also a Electroharmonics LPB1 booster, Bob uh, hits the road, you know, of course, originally with the Everly Brothers, and then he begins playing with Linda Ronstadt. And he ends up performing on the Heart Like a Wheel album, which, of course, was a huge... Breakthrough record for Linda. Uh, that's the album that has When Will I Be Loved and You're No Good, which both feature Andrew Gold playing electric guitar and him soloing. But then it also featured uh, you know, Willen and Dark End of the Street, which featured Bob Warford doing beautiful B-Bender solos on both. And those were both done with, of course, his white telly with the Strat Neck on it, the Vibrolux that's been hot-rodded already, and the... Uh, LPB1 booster that he would set to max. And that's how he got the beautiful distorted tone. So you would, he would hit the front end of the amp really hard with the booster, and then he could set the volume however he wanted it uh, with, the, uh, with the master volume that was added onto the amp. So during Bob's time with Linda Ronstad, he became very fatigued of the road. He told me that he remembered being out on the road with Linda, and no one in the band, including Linda, could... They, they didn't know where they were. They had been doing so many shows in a row, they had no idea what state they were in, what city they were in. And at that point, Bob decided to get off the road. He also decided to go to law school. And so he began the process. Uh, it's funny, because he got off the road with Linda, started going to law school, and then he got a call from Emmylou Harris. So, of course, Emmylou Harris had put together the Hot Band in 1975 with James Burton playing lead guitar. Well, James had a couple of dates where he was, uh, you know, things were conflicting with Elvis. And, of course, James was going to do uh, the Elvis shows uh, because that was his first priority. And so Bob was called to fill in for James. So during the summer of 1975... Bob played some with Emilio Harris, sometimes on his own and sometimes with James. So, you know, there's shows, of course, where it's just Bob playing with the hot band. And then there were shows like uh, in this next photo where you see uh, James and uh, Bob playing side by side. He said they played a lot of nice, fun uh, twin guitars. So after this... Um, Bob continues to play on some sessions. He plays on the, uh, you know, Herb Peterson uh, Lonesome Feeling record, which has some great solos. The uh, Chris Hillman album Desert Rose, 
uh, yeah, there's a number of sessions that he plays on, but he's pretty much, you know, he's not touring anymore, and he's he's a lawyer. He's a lawyer in Los Angeles, and uh, and he, you know, still plays to this day, but he's uh, you know always, you know, been a a lawyer first and then a a, a player on the side, but. Still, during that time, he made a very big mark, and with a, a very, you know, he really created his own stamp with the B-Bender. He didn't ever just, you know, copy Clarence. He did his own thing. He had his own tone, and he's very identifiable. Once you hear those solos on, you know, of course, the tracks that I mentioned, of course, I'll have a Spotify playlist where you're, you'll be able to hear you know, all these tracks, but you'll be able to hear kind of the connective tissue with his playing and, uh, and his tone. Uh, a fun thing that Bob actually sent me that is on my website are the plans for his B-Bender. So here you can see one of the shots and the rest of them will be at askzack.com. And uh, very, very nice of him to uh, send those plans. So, and then here's a shot of... Uh, of course, Bob with a pedal steel player friend of his playing a gig in the last couple of years in Southern California. Let's, uh, let's just go ahead and drill down on, on the gear. Um, of course, Bob played the white telly and he, uh, he strung it up with basically a set of nines. In fact, it was 9, 11, 12, 24, 32, 42 Ernie Ball strings. And of course, used a, a Gibson Jazz pick that you saw actually on one of those past photos where you saw the the side of the guitar. We had a little sticky thing on the side where he could stick an extra pick. Uh, of course, his amp was a Blackface Vibrolux Reverb all through. And in fact, to this day, he still uses it. Hot rodded by Red Rhodes, he would uh, set the volume on seven. And then he would set the master to whatever volume level he needed in the room. And then the LPB1, it was the kind that would plug into the amp, not the guitar, because you could get them either way, where it had a male or female jack on it. And he would he had the one that would plug into the front of the amp, and he would set it to maximum boost, and that's how he would get his sound. So it was just the sound of that guitar, and the LPB1, and a hot-rodded Vibrolux with JBL speakers. Uh, great great sound. Uh, some fun asides about the guitar. Albert Lee borrowed it. Uh, his B-Bender guitar was stolen during the making of the Luxury Liner album. And so uh, C'est La Vie and Poncho and Lefty are Albert playing Bob Warford's White Telly that was formerly owned by Clarence White. Uh, another thing that I want to address is there's been a lot of people that have said the guitar was owned by um, Buck Owens. And Bob told me that he has never been able to make a legitimate connection. So as far as we know, um, the guitar was, was never Buck Owens. Uh, we can say that the pit guard was custom made for that neck because, of course, a Strat neck has a curved heel, not a flat one like a Telecaster. And the uh, that that custom pit guard was made to match that neck. And so the guitar was kind of, um, of course, it seems to be a 50s body with some later parts, uh, later, you know, bridge and such on it. And of course, a mid 60s uh, Strat neck that has a transition logo. And of course, Cluson machine heads. 
Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, he used it on, on so many great recordings and such a, such a great style. And it's so fun to know that, you know, here's a guitar that was used on everything from Nashville West and a Sweetheart of the Rodeo by, of course, Clarence White to all of the great recordings that Bob used it on in his own career and, of course, still using it to this day. Well, I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, hope you will learn more about uh, Bob Warford and, of course, Clarence White. And I want to thank Truefire for their sponsorship. And I hope you have a great week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Ask Zach podcast. If you want to dive deeper, check out my website, askzach.com, to find more articles and further info on each episode. And remember, it is the support from you, the listener, that keeps the show going. Thank you, friends.